A sea of red today on Wall Street. Everything got hammered. The Dow Jones down 1,861.82 points. That's 6.9% decline for the Dow. It's now back in correction territory. It's down 15% from its record high, down 12% on the year. Carnage a lot bigger in the small caps. Russell 2000 clobbered by 7.58%. It's now down almost 19%, but from its record high, it's down about 21%. So that puts the Russell 2000 back in negative territory. The only major index not negative on the year now is the NASDAQ, and that's only because of the FANG-type name. But NASDAQ was still down 5.27% on the day, 527 spot 62 points. So we only had one close above 10,000. Maybe that'll be the only close above 10,000, at least until we have hyperinflation. We'll see. Today was certainly a, a big day. We need to see if we get some follow-through tomorrow. But we should have expected some weakness today based on the reaction to uh, Fed Chairman Powell's statement and press conference and the failure of the stock market to rally based on the Fed's commitment to keep interest rates at zero until 2022 and the fact that the Fed was not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. That should have been good news for the market, right? The market wants assurances that the Fed's not going to rain on the party. Well, the Fed gave that insurance that it's going to be party on uh, at least until 2022. And then, of course, they can always uh, kick the can down the road if they get to 2022 without a major catastrophe. But the market did not rally. And I thought that was a problem. I mentioned that on the podcast yesterday, that the fact that the market got the good news it was waiting for and yet still couldn't rally. Remember, I pointed out the fact that everybody was saying that you can't lose in the stock market, right? Another sign of a bubble. People were complacent. They thought they couldn't lose. Either they got a strong recovery, in which case the market went up, or they we didn't have a recovery. We went we sunk back into recession, in which case the Fed came to the rescue with more money printing, and then the market went up that way. Well, it looks like it's gonna be the latter. If anybody thinks they're gonna make money in the market, it's not because of a strong recovery. It's gonna be because the Fed continues to to print money. But you know, the banks, I mentioned this, the banks were some of the weakest links. Uh, yesterday, and they got hit the hardest, and they got hit the hardest again today. Look at the regional bank index. That was down better than 9% today, down 9.3%. This index is now down 35% from its highs, so solidly uh, in bear market territory. And when you have a financial bubble, when you have an economy and a market that's based on the banking system and the banks and the leverage, the fact that the banks are collapsing, I mean, that's your canary in the coal mine. I mean, there's plenty of them, actually, but that's one of the big ones that people are overlooking. Again, I talked about Wells Fargo yesterday down sharply, but it down actually more today. It was almost down 10% today, 983 
because they announced that they were going to have to reverse the share buybacks. Wells Fargo is now going to be selling stock so they can get the money to pay off the debts that they accumulated buying stock. The problem is they were buying stock at $50 to $60 a share. They'll be lucky to get any sales off above 20. Right now we're at $26.79 and dropping like a stone. So who knows how much money Wells Fargo is actually going to lose, how much shareholder wealth are going to be destroyed because of all those share buybacks. And this should have been a warning sign, and I think it was. In fact, I believe that the real reason the market sold off today is not because there's some reports of uh, more COVID cases or an uptake of COVID cases. I mean, we've been having reports like that uh, for quite some time, and nobody has cared. I think what it really boils down to is the market got all the good news that it wanted, and it couldn't go up anymore. This rally had exhausted itself. I thought uh, that it had gone on too far. Remember, I expected a rally off the lows. What I didn't expect is the rally to be this high. I didn't think the NASDAQ was going to make it above 10,000. Uh, I thought the rally would have run out of steam before then. Well, maybe it's run out of steam now. Uh, and now we're, we're declining. And I think we're going to go back down and potentially take out the lows or maybe give them a retest. And of course, we're going to test the resolve of uh, Powell and, and, and the Federal Reserve because now they're probably going to have to come up with something more. I mean, they already said rates are going to stay at zero. They already said they're going to keep buying bonds. So what's left? I mean, maybe they got to cut interest rates again, but we're at zero. So how are you going to cut rates when you're at zero? Well, you got to go negative. Now, the Federal Reserve has already come out and said that there's no proof that negative rates work. And so that's why they don't want to do them. But it might help the stock market. And that's really all they care about is, is the stock market. And so they may have to give the stock market what it wants, which is a rate cut, despite the fact that rates are now at zero. Now, not only were the stock market down today, but the gold stocks got hammered today. They gave back pretty much all of yesterday's gains, even though gold itself barely gave up half of yesterday's gains. I mean, gold did not go down a lot on the day. It was down about 11 bucks, uh, 12 bucks. Remember, we were up $22, $23 yesterday. So between the two days, we still have a gain in the price of gold, yet gold stocks were down almost as much as the overall market. The GDX was down 4.92% today. GDXJ down 6.6%. So those stocks, you know, really getting hammered. And again, this has happened, you know, on many times this year when the markets are getting killed, they sell everything, including the gold stocks. But the fundamentals for the gold stocks actually improve when you get a big down day in the market. And the reason they improve is because as the market goes down, there's even more pressure on the Fed to print even more money than they're already printing. I mean, we don't need to print any more. They're already printing more than enough to be extremely bullish for gold and hence the gold miners. But when the market goes down even more, it just assures that the print fest is going to kick it into another gear. And it's even going to be more inflation. And so this should be bullish for gold stocks. It is bullish for gold stocks. 
But again, on days like this, they just sell everything and ask questions later. But what generally happens is as soon as the death settles on this, these gold stocks are going to get bought and the gold stocks are going to make new highs uh, long before the overall stock market makes a new high. It may be a while before the overall stock market makes a new high. And in terms of gold, it's probably out of the question that we're going to get back up to where we were yesterday. Uh, in terms of gold, because I think gold is going to catch a bid, uh, as I said, from the Fed's revelation that there's no circumstances under which it would raise interest rates. And it doesn't matter because the Fed already knows that raising rates is impossible. So why even think about doing something that you know you can't do? And that should be music to the ears of the gold traders uh, and therefore uh, gold stock investors. The dollar finally had an update. It had been getting clobbered. And so the dollar index was up uh, like 80 basis points. So not quite 1%. The only currency really that was up today against the dollar was the Japanese yen, safe haven currency. So the dollar actually lost value against the yen. The Swiss franc was relatively stable against the dollar, which means the Swiss franc was strong because it was up against all of the, uh, the other currencies. But I think another problem that is concerning the markets with respect to uh, Powell's statements was his relative uh, relatively bearish assessment of the outlook for the U.S. economy. In fact, one of the reasons that he's not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates is because he doesn't buy the idea that we have a V-shaped recovery. And, and so throwing cold water on that you know, V-shaped recovery narrative, I think, has also got some people concerned who were expecting uh, that V-shaped recovery. And of course, you know, one of the reasons that people got so optimistic about the V-shaped recovery was the rise in the market itself. So that was kind of a, a self-perpetuating prophecy. But the other one was the unexpectedly strong May jobs report. And, you know, people keep talking about this strong jobs report. And, you know, we created 2 million jobs. We didn't create any jobs in May. I mean, we got back some of the jobs we lost in April, but that's not creating a job. I mean, if I have a company and I got to shut down temporarily, so I lay off my workers and then I, I reopen and I bring back the same workers I just laid off, we weren't creating new jobs. We were just restoring the jobs that we just lost. So it wasn't like we had this booming economy. And again, I went over it on my podcast. There were several reasons that those jobs came back. But one of the most important ones was that the government was paying those employers to bring those people back, right, through these PPP loans or other ways. So a lot of it was artificial. And, you know, one of the really funny things about the jobs report, and again, we have this anomaly in every jobs report, but this one, uh, you know, was particularly worthy of uh, raising an eyebrow, was the birth death model. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was a huge number. I think it was a record. It was something like 350,000 jobs that the government assumed were created uh, in the month uh, of May by new businesses that formed that month. See, every month there's this birth death model. And the government decides how many jobs it thinks were added that it doesn't really have any proof of because these are brand new companies that were created. Now, of course, it's a net number because every month some companies 
uh, go out of business, right? And then new companies are formed. And I think what the birth death model is gives you a net number between the number of companies that shut down permanently versus new businesses that start up. That's why it's birth death. Some businesses are born and others are die. And if it's a net positive, right? If you get a net of new businesses being born, then the government assumes that those new businesses that were born in the month hired people. And then they guess how many people. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, in the month of May, they assumed that 350,000 jobs were created by brand new businesses that decided to open up in May when the entire country was shut down. To me, it doesn't make any sense that you had a a wave of new business formation at a time when the economy had ground to a halt. I mean, it makes a lot more sense to me that for that month, the birth-death model would have netted out to death, that more businesses would have permanently closed in that month when everything was shut down, then started. I mean, I can see that some certain niche operators like could have opened up that that could serve people that were hunkered down and 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 uh, you know isolated at home, quarantined in their homes. Maybe some little delivery services. I don't know. There could have been a few uh, people that took advantage of circumstances and set up little uh, niche businesses. But I don't think there's any way that there would have been enough of those little businesses born to make up for the larger number that would have died. People that would have thrown in the towel and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm closing up shop. So, I mean, the whole thing seems phony to me uh, anyway. But yes, a lot of people who had been laid off the prior month were temporarily brought back to work. Uh, who knows how long they're going to stay there, uh, but they're probably going to get refired later in the year or next year. But I think that with Powell not sharing that rosy outlook, uh, that also spooked the market. And it was obvious that Trump was concerned that the big decline 
was the result of Powell's lack of optimism about the economy uh, that they did damage control. And early this morning, uh, you had Secretary Mnuchin coming on CNBC trying to pump up the markets by trying to talk up the economy, talking about how great the economy was. And he was talking about all the money that the government was pumping into the economy. We're pumping in all this money, trillions of dollars. We're going to put people back to work. And again, as I said on yesterday's podcast, it's not the government's job to put people to work, right? This isn't the Soviet Union. The free market puts people to work, not the government. The government prevents people from gaining productive employment. But, you know, when you see somebody like Mnuchin talking about all the money that the government is pumping into the economy, you need to, in your mind, substitute the word inflation for money, right? Anytime they say we're pumping in money, we're pumping in liquidity, just say to yourself, they're pumping in inflation because that's what they're doing, right? And when you use that word, does it sound like it's a good thing? Yes, we're pumping inflation into the economy. Whoa, 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 why would you want to do that? I don't, we, I don't want more inflation. That's the last thing we need is higher prices, right? Pumping inflation into the economy is not a good thing. But that's what pumping money into the economy is, you know, because they're not pumping in products, right? The government doesn't have factories and they're not, they're not putting real, real products into the economy. They're not adding real resources. They're not adding anything of value. They're just putting numbers on a computer, right? It's just not even paper on printed money. They're just electronically creating digits. And that's not going to help the economy. It doesn't matter. Again, what, when you're on a fiat-based monetary system, money derives its value from the production. So everything that's produced, we divvy it up based on the money. So money is a way to divide up what's already been produced. So all the goods and all the services get produced and then they get divvied up based on the money. Well, if you just increase the supply of money, it doesn't do anything to change the supply of goods and services. So now when you divvy those goods and services off, you just have to assign a higher price to all the goods and services so that the market clears. But nothing of real value is actually added. Now, the damage that the government does when they pump inflation into the economy, when they give some money to people who didn't have it, is they're taking purchasing power away from the people who already had it in order to bestow it on the recipients of the government benefits. So when they're pumping money in the economy, what you need to be thinking of is that you're losing something. If you're not getting that money in your hands that's being pumped in, then somebody is getting your purchasing power. Somebody is going to be buying things that you're not going to be able to buy because they bought it. Right? Because the supply of goods is not being increased. So this is not helpful. This is not going to create jobs just by creating money. But Mnuchin is so convinced that it will. And he's bragging on CNBC, we, you know, we're, print, we're, we're pumping in money, we're pumping in money. I mean, what, he, what they should be doing is recognizing that the economy is weak, that the economy is in trouble, and what the government should be doing is lightening the burden that it places on the economy. What I'd like to see the, the Trump administration do is cut government spending, recognize that government spending is taxation. And we need a real tax cut, not a phony tax cut, which means we need big cuts in government spending. Instead, we're getting the opposite. We're getting an increase in government spending at a time when the economy can least afford it. And, you know, people thought or think today's down day was bad. 
They ain't seen nothing yet because the market is still clueless. The dollar was up today. Treasuries were up today. The real damage is going to happen when the dollar and treasuries are going down on days that the stock market is going down, because that will be evidence that the market has figured it out, that the game is over for the dollar, that the party is over. And then we're going to see all of the negative consequences of all this money printing. We're going to see how much damage the, the government does to the economy by pumping money in. And in fact, Trump himself was critical. He tweeted earlier this morning that um, that Powell was wrong, right? Again, pointing to uh, the economy, uh, the jobs numbers. I mean, Trump actually thinks, or at least this is what he tweeted, that 2021 is going to be one of the strongest years ever for the U.S. economy. And he's not even close to being right about that. First of all, he's probably not going to be president in 2021. And, and that's probably another reason that this market sell-off is just getting started, because I don't think the market has even begun to price in a Trump loss. I think they've still been in denial about that. But if you look on the Predicted site, uh, Predicted.com, the betting for which party wins the 2020 election, I've never seen the Democrats so high or Trump or the Republicans so low. To bet that the Democrats win you have to pay 61 cents to get a dollar. And if you think the Republicans are going to win, you bet 41 cents uh, to win a dollar. So I haven't seen the disparity this wide, but obviously people think that the Democrats have a 50% greater chance of winning uh, than the Republicans, which is a big, big number. And then if you go and look at the betting on Congress, on which, uh, which uh, party is going to win control of Congress. On the U.S. Senate side, you have to bet 58 cents if you're going to bet the Democrats take control of the Senate. And it's 43 cents if you bet the Republicans. Again, this is the widest I've seen that gap. Uh, and so obviously the House is going to, the Democrats are going to hold the House. I mean, there's no question about that. Up until recently, people assumed that the Republicans were going to maintain the Senate. The odds are now that the Republicans lose the Senate. And if they lose the Senate and they lose the White House, then the Democrats have complete control. And, you know, not only are stock market investors completely complacent to the risk of a uh, Democrat takeover, of a sweep in, in, uh, in 2021, but they're also underestimating the damage that their policies are going to do. I mean, first of all, they have a false sense of confidence because uh, Biden is the candidate, right? Because Biden is supposedly the moderate. And so they're thinking, hey, it's not that bad, right? Biden's a moderate, right? It's not like it was Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, right? We got the moderate. So, you know, he's going to be kind of like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. And that is a complete denial of reality. It doesn't matter that the person at the top of the ticket is Joe Biden. The philosophy on the top of the ticket or the philosophy of the party is Bernie Sanders. Sanders won. It doesn't matter that he's not the nominee. He won, right? Democratic socialism is coming to America. In fact, the Republicans have already embraced a lot of Sanders' policies. I mean, the Republicans, in many respects, are already further to the left 
than the Democrats used to be. Of course, the Democrats moved even further left, so they didn't catch them. They moved over to the Bernie Camp uh, Sanders Democratic Socialist uh, uh, agenda. So this is not uh, the Joe Biden party, even if he's the nominee. This is the Sanders Democratic Party. This is the party of AOC, right? They're the ones that are going to be calling the shots in 2021. And so when they're thinking about, oh, you know, the tax hikes, maybe they won't be that bad. They're going to be horrific. We're going to see the biggest tax hikes in history uh, in 2021 on corporations and high income earners. I mean, how could we not? Right. We already have the biggest deficits in history. I mentioned yesterday that the national debt went above 26 trillion. It's probably going to be above 30 trillion by the time um, Joe Biden takes the oath of office. So you have 30 trillion dollar national debt. Right. You have a huge budget deficit, budget deficits of multi trillions of dollars a year. And you have the Democrats coming to Washington with a mandate for even more government. I mean, we have to pay for some of it with actual taxes. The Fed isn't going to be able to monetize it all. They're at least going to have to pretend that we're paying for some of it. And who are the Democrats going to ask, right, in quotes, to contribute their so-called fair share? The rich, right? Corporations. So they are going to have the biggest tax increase. Nobody's going to be against it. And in addition to the other laundry list that they wanted, Green New Deal type stuff, uh, you know, government uh, jobs, government housing, Medicare for all. In addition to all that, now you've got to throw in some kind of ridiculous reparations for slavery. I mean, that's coming in some form, right? Not just like every African-American gets a check, but there's going to be some way, some program that's going to be brought out as some type of slavery reparations to eradicate uh, racism or make up for racism or to somehow equalize the divide uh, between white America and black America so that we can raise uh, the wealth of black Americans. Of course, to do that, we have to diminish the wealth of white Americans, right? To get everybody equal, we if we're going to bring up black Americans, then we have to bring down white Americans in the process. Uh, but there's going to be some way to redistribute that wealth in the form of some government program, which is going to cost even more money. So in order to pay for all this, there is going to be massive tax increases uh, on corporations and on the rich. And that is very negative for the stock market. It's going to reduce the value of corporate earnings by the amount of the tax. And it's going to reduce the value to investors of owning stocks because now they're going to face higher personal taxes on any dividends that they earn, on any capital gains that they receive. So the market was already priced at a a record high valuation. And then you, you throw all these problems into the mix The the market has to collapse. So I think now you're going to start to see that sell-off. We had the big rally. And initially, you know, there was a lot of people that when COVID-19 hit and we got the big collapse, people were like, okay, this is a severe recession. The market's going to go down. And as the rally started, a lot of people didn't believe the rally. And so they stayed out of it. But what happened in the last week is a lot of the bears threw in the towel and bought 
They were like, you know what? I got to get in. I know the market's expensive, but I can't afford to sit on the sidelines and miss out on these profits because after all, we can't lose, right? That narrative started to come in. Then you have all these kids on Robinhood buying stock in bankrupt companies. So we had that rally. We flushed everybody out. And now we can have the larger decline that was interrupted uh, by the Fed's initial move uh, with massive liquidity to put a bottom into the market. So now reality is rearing its head that, hey, we're not going to get this V-shaped recovery, that uh, the Fed doesn't necessarily have our back. There's still a lot of downside before the Fed comes to the rescue. And the most important thing that people need to consider is, yes, we are going to have a horrible recession because of COVID-19. And more importantly, because of the way that we reacted to COVID-19 with all of the all of the shutdowns and all of the, you know, the 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 the, the quarantines and all the things that we did to disrupt business. You know, I went out today, I, I got a haircut for the first time in I don't know, like three months, four, whatever it is. And so I went down to get my haircut. And to show you how how uh, ridiculous all this is, so I, I I made an appointment to get a haircut. When I show up at the door, I have to call them on my cell phone, and then they tell me that it was okay to come in. And when I come in there, and I'm wearing a mask, I had to wear a mask for the entire haircut. Everybody in there is wearing a mask, except the place is practically empty. There was only like one other person in there because it's social distancing. They can't have that many people in there at a time. So I think there was maybe two of us getting our haircut, and there was a few people working there. And so they immediately, they take my temperature. Uh, they, they put the you know hand sanitizer on me. I Normally, I would put on the smock but the changing rooms are closed. You're not allowed into the changing room. So I put the smock on, but I had to put it on over my shirt. I couldn't like take off my shirt. Uh, but the thing I'm thinking of as I'm getting my haircut and I'm looking around this huge salon that's practically empty is how is this business making any money? There's nobody in the salon. They're having to space out their customers in such a wide gap. And there's probably a lot of customers that don't even want to risk going out, right? Whatever that risk is. Uh, but I mean, businesses are having a very, very hard time. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the salons are still not open. The one that I normally cut my hair in, I called them first and they're, they haven't even opened yet. So I went to a different one that I had, had been to before when I lived here. But apart from what's going to happen from COVID-19 and our reaction, the, the most damage that was done was the monetary policy and fiscal policy to try to repair the damage of ordering all the businesses to shut down and ordering all the workers to go home. That is the worst thing that's happened. It's the big increase in the deficits and the money that was printed to finance them. That is the real damage. That cure is going to do far more damage. The economy is going to get much sicker because of that cure than because of the coronavirus disease. That is what people still haven't figured out. The incredible amount of damage done to this economy by our government and by the Federal Reserve. And this is on top of the damage that they already did in the past, right? The Federal Reserve had already screwed up the economy before COVID-19. The reason the economy was so vulnerable to this shock was because of the Fed. 
The reason all these companies were levered up, the reason everybody was living paycheck to paycheck, the reason the governments already had so much debt was because of the Fed, was because the Fed kept interest rates too low for too long. Now they're committed to keeping them at zero indefinitely because we now have so much debt, thanks to all this money printing, that they can't even think about thinking about raising interest rates because they know what a disaster it would be if they ever did. Right, So we are on the precipice of a massive monetary crisis, financial crisis, that's going to dwarf anything we've seen so far uh, in this recession or this the market decline. So investors better be prepared. Right, You better buy the dip in these gold stocks. Investors who are selling them still don't know what they're doing. Take advantage of that. And you need, to, you need to sell this rally in the dollar. It wasn't that big considering how much the dollars dropped recently, but it's a nice enough rally that you can sell into it and you can use the dollar strength to get out of it and buy a lot of these foreign stocks. All the foreign stocks got killed today too. Everything. They threw out all the babies with the bathwater. I mean, you name it, you pick up a symbol. It was down five, six, seven, eight percent today. It was indiscriminate. Investors were selling everything. And when investors are selling everything, that's when the smart people can buy what shouldn't be sold because not everything is overvalued. There are a lot of things that should have been down a lot more and they will be down a lot more, but there's still a lot of value in this market. And I think those uh, those values are going to get better. Uh, So if you're still sitting on cash, and as I said uh, last podcast, ultimately cash is the worst place to be in. It may feel like you're doing the right thing on days like today when you're in cash and you see everything going down. But one morning you're going to wake up and your cash is going to be practically worthless. And because we don't know when that morning is going to be, if you want to sleep soundly every night, then you better make sure you don't have all that cash. You don't leave yourself vulnerable to the massive inflation tax. You want to avoid that tax. You want to be tax exempt from inflation and you want to set up a portfolio of quality assets around the world. Good foreign stocks paying dividends, uh, precious metals, gold stocks. And so, you know, contact uh, the representatives at Euro Pacific Capital, Euro Pacific Asset Management and uh, and get yourself ready because I can promise you this is going to be one massive, massive collapse. Uh, this is going to be for the history books. People are going to be studying about this long after we're dead. Uh, and But you just don't want to be uh, one of the casualties. You want to be one of the few people who read the writing on the wall and who not only understood what was going to happen, but who acted, who, 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 who took the precautions to not only preserve your wealth, but to actually profit as most people uh, were wiped out. Bitcoin was also down today following all the risk assets lower. Yes, gold was down, but gold was barely down. It wasn't even down 1%. Uh, but Bitcoin dropped about 6-7%. Hard to say exactly because I'm not sure what it actually closed at yesterday. I know that yesterday, intraday, Bitcoin actually peaked its uh, head above 10,000 again. I think that was shortly after uh, uh, Powell was speaking. It kind of followed gold up. I think the pumpers know that when gold is really going up or reacting to something, they have to kind of force Bitcoin to move higher too so they can continue this digital gold narrative. So they pumped it up 
uh, and then it was immediately sold off because I think right after it hit 10,000, it got clobbered down to like 9,500, but then bounced back. And I think it almost made it back up to 10,000. It got to 99, 80-ish or something like that. And I think it came into the day, I think it started about 9,800. And it sold off and it made an intraday low of just above 9,000. So almost a 10% drop in Bitcoin from yesterday's high to the low so far for today. As I'm speaking now, Bitcoin is trading a little bit above 9,300, uh, 9,320. Uh, the Bitcoin Investment Trust, you know, Grayscale Trust, that was down better than 12% today, closed down $1.49 and a half at 10.80. So that took a real shellacking. So the people in Bitcoin actually got hit the hardest. Uh, the Bitcoin trust went down a lot more than gold stocks. And of course, Bitcoin went down much more than gold. But I think Bitcoin, again, is setting up for a major, major collapse. You know, a lot of people in the Bitcoin community have become uh, you know, very emboldened uh, by the fact that Bitcoin was still beating other assets year to date and performing better than gold on the year. And so they were saying this proves that Bitcoin is better than gold. It's a better hedge because it's the asset that's done the best during the crisis. Well, the crisis isn't over yet. The crisis is just getting started. And by the time the crisis is actually over, all of Bitcoin's gains will be gone, not just since the beginning of the crisis, but since the beginning of Bitcoin, right? All these guys are so convinced that the future's profits are going to be just as big as the profits from the past. That is impossible. That's never going to happen. In fact, the technical situation that exists today in Bitcoin is you have a lot of speculators who were buying Bitcoin ahead of the halving because they were convinced that once the halving happened and the rewards were cut in half, that the price of Bitcoin would double uh, because it was more scarce and uh, you would need to mine twice as many or the price would have to be twice as high uh, to uh, make the cost of mining uh, this or the, the rewards from mining the same. Uh, and that didn't happen. I was saying that wasn't going to happen, that that had already been priced in, that whatever gains Bitcoin was going to have post-halving were already uh, uh, earned pre-halving. So all the gains were already there. The speculators who were buying to cash in now need to cash out. They haven't done it yet. So I still think we have a wave of selling coming uh, in the Bitcoin community uh, from all the people that were buying in advance of the halving that still haven't sold. But also what's going to put a lot of downward pressure on Bitcoin, once Bitcoin really starts to fall and the halving becomes a, a dud, and we start to see the price tank, I think a lot of these hodlers are going to finally start to throw in the towel and want to cash in on some actual profits. You know, it's a recession. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Uh, they need money. Uh, and they got some Bitcoin. And there's stuff they need to buy. There's stuff, you know, expenses that they have. And they can't pay those expenses with Bitcoin. They can't buy what they need with Bitcoin. But if they sell their Bitcoin and get cash, well, then they can pay their bills and buy the things that they need. And I think that's what's going to happen. A lot of people are going to be looking to cash out 
The problem, though, is not a lot of people are going to be looking to buy in. See, the only way somebody who has Bitcoin can get out is somebody who doesn't have it wants to get in. And I think the supply of fools who want to get in is going to be exhausted. And that means it's just a vacuum. That means the price is going to implode and Bitcoin is probably going to produce uh, the biggest assets. It's the asset uh, that could implode the fastest because it has no real fundamentals underpinning it at all. And it has a very narrow group of supporters. I mean, yes, there's some very ardent people uh, that are diehard Bitcoin fanatics uh, who will go down with the ship. But in the whole scheme of things, this is a small sliver of the global uh, market. Uh, you know, And it hasn't really gotten much larger over the last couple of years. That's the problem. You know, They haven't been able to grow uh, the pyramid scheme. And, and, and so that's why we've run out of momentum to bring Bitcoin higher. But ultimately, we don't have enough buying to sustain Bitcoin at its current price. So it's going to make a big move down. In fact, I think it's going to take out uh, not only uh, the lows from March, but I think it's going to take out the lows uh, from 2018. You know, we almost got down there. I mean, we were below 4,000 in March on that big decline, but we didn't quite take out uh, the prior low. That was around 3,100 and change, 3,200. So I think that's where we're going. In fact, I think we're going to certainly take out 3,000. And how much further uh, beneath that we go on this move remains to be seen. Obviously, at some point, we'll have a bounce. Even a dead cat can bounce. Uh, But again, you know, a dead cat has more uh, fundamental value uh, than Bitcoin. (music) 